would invite you to take your Bibles. And we're going to be looking at two different passages. They're actually printed in your bulletin for you if you'd like to follow along there. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, a part of 1 Corinthians 15. And then we're also going to be looking at a few verses in Revelation 20, which is where we have been studying over these many past months. Uh, we're going to be looking first at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 22, and then 50 through 57 at the end of the chapter. And then we'll look at Revelation 20, verses 6 and then 14 through 15. would invite you to read along as... Listen along as I read to you from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then turning to the end of the chapter, verse 50. Paul continues by saying, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the last trump. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then just a couple of verses from Revelation chapter 20. First from verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ. And will reign with him for a thousand years. And then finally verses 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written, found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray together. Our Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit, open our eyes and help us to see wonderful things from this portion of your word. Help us to be encouraged as we remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and that as a result of his resurrection, there is now no fear of death. 
Help us to celebrate that this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the four of us who are currently living at the Harper House uh, have been re-watching the miniseries Band of Brothers over the past few weeks. Uh, The Band of Brothers is a 2001 drama documentary type of series. It was produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. And it tracks, over the course of its 10 episodes, it tracks uh, the history of a company of soldiers through their campaign in World War II. It tracks Easy Company of the 506th Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division uh, during their pre-training, the pre-war training that they had, and then through their campaigns in Europe all the way up until the end of the war. It's a powerful, it is an inspiring, it is a heart-wrenching documentary. And one of the most powerful, uh, powerfully portrayed things is the reality of death that surrounds the soldiers of Easy Company during their entire time in the war. And the documentary shows how different soldiers handled the reality of death in different ways. Some in a very stoic way. Uh, some with resiliency, and many with a debilitating fear. And there's one scene in the documentary of, uh, of the soldiers after they had been through some very difficult battles, and they had lost a number of their brothers in arms, and the army was resupplying with new soldiers. And there's a scene where one of these new soldiers, a private, has just arrived on the battlefield and he is he's seized he's paralyzed with a sense of death the death that is all around him the death that he is seeing the death that he is experiencing and he's paralyzed with fear and he has a conversation with his lieutenant his lieutenant is a is a, a battle-hardened soldier seemed to be completely immune to fear and the private asks his lieutenant how do you do it How do you live in the midst of this death without fear seizing and paralyzing you? And his lieutenant answered by saying, it's really easy. You just have to realize that you're already dead. As soon as you understand that, you'll do just fine. Now, what he meant was this. You have to assume that you're going to be killed. You are not going to go home. At some point, you are eventually going to die. So just accept that reality, and then you won't fear death anymore. That's an interesting strategy. I wonder how you would answer if this soldier came to you and asked you that question. Asked you, how do you deal with the fear of the reality of death? What would you say to him? I would suggest to you this morning, the scriptures would suggest to you this morning that if you're a Christian, you should have a very different answer for why there is no fear of death. It is because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. It is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's one of the main points of the entire chapter of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are of most of all to be pitied. But in fact, Jesus did rise from the dead. And as a result, there is now no longer any fear of death. 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want us to reflect on that just for a moment this morning. That because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who are in Christ have no fear of death. They have no fear of what Revelation calls the second death. They have no fear of the first death. And in fact, not only are we to not have any fear of death, we are to have hope because the end of death is coming. Let's look at those three things this morning. First of all, Christians have no fear of the second death. There are actually two references in Revelation 20 of the second death. What John sees in this vision of the second death. You see the first reference in verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. And then we see another reference in verse 14. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And so it's verse 14 that actually tells us what is this second death that Revelation is talking about. It tells us very plainly, verse 14, the second death is the lake of fire. Well, what's the lake of fire? Well, we know from Revelation and other references in the scriptures that the lake of fire is a reference to hell. It is the place of eternal separation from the love and the grace of God. It is the place of eternal punishment. We see this referenced in a chapter that we're coming up to in the coming weeks in chapter 21. There we read about the new heavens and the new earth after Jesus has returned. And Paul, or excuse me, John in describing the new heavens and the new earth in chapter 21 verse 4 says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Now, he's speaking about the first death there in verse four. We'll come to that in just a minute. But if you scan down to verse eight, you'll see he references a second kind of death. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, sulfur, which is the second death. This is what the second death is referring to. It is the spiritual separation from the love and the grace of God. It is the place of eternal punishment for those who are apart from Christ when Jesus returns once again. But why is there to be no fear for Christians of the second death? Revelation 20 verse 6 says that the second death has no power over Christians. Christians should not be afraid of the second death. They should not fear for it. Why not? Well, for that, we turn to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians verse chapter 15. Why should Christians not fear the second death? Paul says in chapter 15 verses 21 and 22, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The reason why Christians are to have no fear of the second death is because of the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who are in Christ because of his death on the cross... And because of his being raised from the grave, we get eternal life through faith in him. 
Because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden, we are spiritually guilty. And we deserve the second death. But because of Christ and His death on the cross, sacrificing Himself on our behalf, because He was raised again, conquering death once and for all, we get eternal life. We get, as Paul says in 15 verse 57, victory. Because of the resurrection of our Savior, we get victory. It is only through Christ and by being connected to Him by faith. And I want you to notice something here in what Paul says about this. Paul doesn't qualify what he says in 1 Corinthians 15 about what the Christian gets. He doesn't qualify it one bit. Every single person who is in Christ gets freedom from the second death. Those with those who are considered to have great faith and those who perhaps feel like they have small faith. Those who are perceived to have strong faith and those who perhaps feel like they have weak faith. The reason that all Christians get the wonderful blessing of no more fear of the second death is because our freedom from the second death is not based on the degree or the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith, who our faith is in. Well-known scholar, uh, New Testament scholar Don Carson tells a wonderful made-up story to illustrate this. Uh, imagine that you are observing a conversation that's taking, a place, taking place between two Jewish men during the time of the Exodus when God is leading His people out of Egypt. God's in the process of bringing plagues to Egypt and to Pharaoh that he might convince them to let his people go. And now it's the day when God's people have been told that God himself is going to pass over the entirety of Egypt, over the homes of all the Egyptians, all those who live in Egypt. And the firstborn of all the Egyptians will die. Now, I want you to imagine this conversation between these two Jewish men. We'll call them Fred and Bob, two good Jewish names. Goes something like this. Fred says to Bob, I'm pretty nervous about this whole firstborn dying when the Lord passes over our houses tonight. It sounds pretty scary. How about you? And Bob responds, nervous? No way. Didn't you kill the lamb and didn't you take the sacrificial blood and, and put it on your doorposts and put it on your lentils like the Lord told you to do? And Fred responds, well, of course I did. I'm not stupid. It's just that this all sounds pretty scary, especially with all of the plagues that are happening around here recently. I mean, it's no big deal for you, Bob. You've got three kids. I've only got one. This is pretty scary. I'll be glad when tonight is over. Bob responds, nah, bring it on. I trust in the promises of God. That night, the Lord passed over the land of Egypt. He passed over the houses in Egypt, including both Fred and Bob's houses. Which one of them lost their firstborn? Of course, the answer is neither. 
Death didn't pass over their homes on the ground of the strength or the intensity of their faith. Death passed over them on the ground of the blood of the lamb that was covering their house. Death passes over them on the ground of the object of their faith, who their faith is in, the Lord God Almighty. This is the reason why Christians are to have no fear of the second death. It is not because the strength or the size of our faith, but it is because of who our faith is in. Our faith is in the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and who rose again, conquering death once and for all. And so if you are in Christ this morning, if your faith is in Christ, then you have no fear of the second death. There is no fear of an eternal separation from God's love and grace. And there is nothing that you can do to have that taken away from you. Even moments and seasons when your faith shakes. Christians are to have no fear of the second death. But Christians are to have no fear of the first death either. I mean, after all, if they're talking about the second death, there must be a first death. What is the first death? Again, if we look back in Revelation and going back to verse uh, chapter 21... And again, just reminding you those two verses that I read earlier, verses 4 and 8. Verse 8 is very clearly, very specifically talking about the second death. The eternal death that we, that we deal with, being separated by God if we are not in Christ, if we are not Christians. Separated from God's love and grace and mercy for all eternity as we pay for our sins if we're not in Christ. But back in verse 4, there's the reference to this other death. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 8 is clearly referring to the second death, that spiritual death. But verse 4 is talking about a different kind of death. It's talking about the first death. When we die physically, when we die here on this earth, when our life comes to an end. We think about what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, where he speaks and he's wrestling internally and he talks about how he can't wait to die in the flesh and to go and to be with Christ. Hebrews reminds us of this as well in Hebrews chapter 9. It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. It's speaking about that time when we physically die, which happens only once. And then we go and we meet our maker and our creator. So the first death is a physical death. When our life on this earth comes to an end and we face our creator. And the scriptures tell us this morning that there is to be no fear for those who are in Christ of this first death either. Because Christians are united to Jesus. Because they are connected to him by faith. There is no fear of the first death. There is no fear of judgment. Christ has already been judged for you. Now your name is written in indelible ink in the Lamb's book of life. You have been declared not guilty. You have been declared righteous in God's sight. So your physical death is simply the means by which you go from this place to be with your Savior in heaven. For the Christian... Because Jesus died for us and rose from the grave and conquering death for us, there is no need for us to fear physical death. George Herbert is a 17th century Welsh poet, also a priest in the Church of England, a devout Christian man. 
He dealt with bad health his entire life. He died at the age of 39, likely from tuberculosis. And one of the poems that he wrote is called a dialogue anthem. And in this poem, it's a short poem and it's, it's a dialogue between a Christian and death. Listen to how it goes. Christian starts by saying, Alas, poor death, where is thy glory? Where is thy famous force, thy ancient sting? Death responds, Alas, poor mortal, void of story. Go spell and read how I have killed thy king. Speaking of Jesus. Christian responds, Poor death. And who was hurt thereby? Thy curse being laid on him makes thee accursed. Death responds, let losers talk, yet thou shalt die. These arms shall crush thee. And Christian responds, lastly, spare not, do thy worst. I shall be one day better than before. Thou so much worse Then thou shalt be no more. Elsewhere, Herbert wrote, Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. This is why Christians are to have no fear in the first death. Death used to be an executioner for us. It used to bring fear to us, fear for us. But now, because Christ has died for us and been resurrected for us, death is just the means by which we are planted into the ground and then rise into glorious, the glorious presence of our Father in heaven. So when Christians face difficult times, daunting times, scary times, Uh, incredibly difficult circumstances in life. And even when we face the reality of physical death itself, there is to be no fear because Jesus Christ has been resurrected. And as a result, for those who are in Christ, the judgment that we deserve to get for the sins that we have committed, that judgment was put on Christ and he paid the price full. The debt that we owed was removed permanently. The second death, that spiritual separation from the love and grace of God in hell forever, has no power over you, Christian. The first death, the physical death from this earth, simply becomes the means by which we go to be with our Savior in heaven. I want you to see one last thing before we end. Not only is the Christian not to have any fear of the second death or the first death. But Christians are to have an incredible hope. The hope that the end of death itself is coming. You remember what John says in his vision in chapter back in Revelation chapter 20. He gets this vision of what's going to happen at Christ's second coming. And he gets this wonderful news in verse 14. Death. And Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Once Jesus Christ returns, death itself will be eliminated. Death itself will be thrown into the lake of fire. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no such thing as death anymore for God's people. That's why Paul ended 1 Corinthians 15 talking about when the last trumpet sounds, 
When Jesus returns again, then will come true the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Suffering in this world, the suffering that we go through is real. Sometimes it's intense. Sometimes it's bearable. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes it seems manageable, but at all times it is real. Sometimes we're actually given seasons when the reality of suffering is brought home to us in particular ways. And we think of the current crisis that we are enduring. But because Jesus rose again from the grave, the promise that we have and the hope that we have is that there is a day that is coming when death itself will be eliminated forever. So the suffering that we have now is temporary. And not only is it temporary, but remember the promise of God about what our suffering produces. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. I don't fully understand how this works. God doesn't give us an insight into his his secret will about how he does this. But this is a promise from God. The afflictions and the suffering that we experience now is in some way preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond comparison. The greater that our afflictions and sufferings are in this place the greater we will be prepared for this eternal weight of glory. We never want afflictions. We never want suffering. We shouldn't like them. But this is God's promise to us. When we suffer, there is a means to an end of it producing an eternal weight of glory that is beyond comparison. We have a particular video that is making its round uh, through the Harper family these days. It's a video of a recording of a singer-songwriter songwriter by the name of Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson is actually from our own circles. He's part of our own church family, not Trinity, but the PCA. And this video in particular is is Peterson singing uh, one of the songs that he wrote a few years ago, ago called Is He Worthy? And the particular video that I'm thinking of is is Peterson singing it at the Getty sing along back in 2018 or 2019. I would encourage you to Google it later and to watch the video. The song that he wrote is a dialogue back and forth, and it's based on the book of Revelation. It's actually based in particular on chapter five, where the question is asked in chapter five of Revelation. Is anyone worthy to take the scroll from the hand of the father to open it to bring judgment on the evil and glory for God's people? Is anybody worthy to take that scroll and open it? Listen to Peterson's translation, if you will, of Revelation 5. 
Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Of all blessing and honor and glory, is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of this? He is. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is. Let's pray together. Our great God, our Creator in heaven, we join our voices with the angelic choir and with your people around this world and we celebrate the reign and the rule of King Jesus who alone is worthy to take the scroll and to open it. I pray, Father, that as we, as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would fill us with strength and hope and a peace that passes all understanding of this world. Fill us with the ability, Lord, to go out into this world and to live for your glory above all things. We would ask that you do this for the glory of your name above all things and the good of all your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.